Hey everyone, and welcome to At The Letters for Thursday, August the 31st, 2023. Ben Nicholson-Smith here with you. As promised, the second episode this week. It's been a ride even since we last spoke. I have Nick Ashbourne here with me to discuss what's going on with the Blue Jays. Nick, thanks for making the time. How's it going? Good. Better than It's going better for me than it is for the Blue Jays, I think, in general. I appreciate you having me on. That's good. If it was going worse for you than it was for the Blue Jays, I'd, I'd probably have I wouldn't to... be available for this podcast. If it was going <laughs> yeah. worse for me than the Blue Jays, I'd be dealing with some stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we're happy to have you here, Nick Ashbourne, a senior writer for Yahoo Sports, also a contributor at sportsnet.ca, where uh, you can read his latest work discussing Davis Schneider, uh, his swing, everything that's going on there. But before we get into some granular stuff here, Nick, I mean, let's start big picture. In the last few days, the Jays won two and lost one, and they're now 73 and 61, 12 games above 500, which I feel like they've been 12 games above 500 since like, you know, mid July, (laughs) which is maybe part of the problem. Two and a half games back of the Texas Rangers for the final wildcard spot. So what's your sense of where the Blue Jays are at as they head into the final month of the season? Man, I think for so much of the year, it was easy to say this team is kind of muddling along in the race. They're not falling out of it. They haven't played their best baseball. That baseball is going to come at a certain point. But there's so few games left in the season that it just becomes less and less reasonable to say that, to be honest. And the way it's kind of shaping up now, I know that they have this stretch of, you know, quote unquote, easy games, and that could help them in the next little bit. But a lot of their opponents have fairly easy schedules as well. A lot of their wildcard opponents are going to face the Oakland Athletics down the stretch, for instance. Uh, and even going to Colorado for this weekend series, we know that Colorado is a bad team, but it's a quasi respectable team at home. Like the, the Rockies have always been a different team at Coors Field. And away, I believe at this point, their home record is something like 28 and 36. Not a good team, but not sort of that pure doormat, you'd think, based on their overall record. And yeah, I mean, I think you look at their odds today, it's, it's probably below 50%. And that series with the Texas Rangers starting on September 11th, it kind of has a chance to be the whole thing, which is weird when you talk about a kind of 162-game season. You're always trying not to overreact to an individual game or a series, even when things look really bad. But the way things are shaping up, like the Rangers look like the most vulnerable team in that race and the Blue Jays have all these games against them in that series of four game series. That is the thing to really circle on your calendar right now. It, it really is. It really is. Four games against the Rangers uh, in Toronto coming up in a couple weeks. Before then, the Blue Jays played nine games all against last place teams. So that's pretty ideal. But it's it's kind of wild, right? Like you think about Okay, that last game, the Wednesday game against the Nationals, following the devastating defeat on Tuesday, um, which, you know, we could do a whole podcast episode on. We won't, but there's a lot there. And to me, like, I try to be rational about this stuff, as I know you do as well. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, you can't call this a must-win game. Like, you can't. Like, I'm just, I'm sitting there, I'm like, this, it's objectively, it's not a must-win game. Like, they don't have to win it. And yet, it kind of felt like a must-win game. And I'm like, this is as close as it gets to a must-win game in August as you can possibly find for a team like the Jays. Yeah, I mean, you think about how devastating losing a series to the Nationals. And again, the Nationals are probably better than a lot of people think they are. Their record is quasi-respectable. They played good baseball recently. 
But all those mitigating factors can be thrown aside. Like losing a series to the Washington Nationals at home when you're in this race and you need those wins so badly and in the context of that Wednesday loss. And again, like you said, that's a whole episode's worth and we don't need to dive into that. But that was a very nasty loss. Strike three called. Book it. The Guardians win their first series in a month. On top of that loss, you pile another one. And this stretch of games you're supposed to have against teams that you're going to supposedly beat and make up ground with, you already failed to do that against the Guardians. You fail again against the Nationals. Like It really is, from an unscientific, from a vibes perspective or whatever, it's a terrible outcome for the Blue Jays. And they came out and they had a very decisive win. And it's the type of win that's been you know quasi-common in the 2021-2022 past and exceedingly rare in 2023. You know, they're still well back in the race. They're still in a difficult position, but it did feel like a little bit of an inflection point for sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because like the win now, like wins and losses are not equal. What I mean is a win doesn't feel as good as a loss feels bad, you know, and I think that the numbers bear that out. Like a win doesn't help you as much in your postseason probability as a loss hurts you. And so that's where there's that pressure and it's not feeling as fun. I think that's kind of why it doesn't feel as fun because you play well, you win seven, nothing. It doesn't feel all that satisfying. It feels like, okay, this is normal. This is like kind of what had to happen. And that's kind of how it's going to go. Like if the Jays sweep the Rockies, let's say they gain a game or two on Texas and gain a game maybe on Houston, they're still going to be behind. They're still going to be chasing the teams ahead of them, which are good teams. That's where you run into this pressure. And, you know, looking at the standings now, the Jays have 73 wins. So to get to 90 wins, which I think this year is probably a minimum, the way the standings are going and the way these teams are playing, I don't think you can count on getting in with 88. So let's call it 90 for now. You have to go 17 and 11. You only have 11 losses to play with the whole rest of the year. That means you have to, with no exceptions, with no delay, you have to play at a 98 win pace starting today. Like it's, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, and yeah, we talked about those those poor teams they're facing, those bottom of the barrel teams. Like winning series against those teams potentially is not enough, right? Like if you were going two and one against, say, the Kansas City Royals, and you're chasing the Rangers, and they're going two and one against the team they're facing, which is a fairly common outcome for them. Like they are a good team, so they're going to win the majority of the series that they play. You need to get some sweeps here. Like it, it is an opportunity to play these games and have you know series wins like they had against the Nationals. But a series win is like not even a great result at this point against a low-level team, especially. You really need to have that sweep. Or when you face the Rangers, you need to win. You know, you need to go 3-1 and one in that series, or you need to go 4-0 and oh in that series, which is an exceedingly tall task. But splitting against the Rangers could end up being a really nasty outcome for the Blue Jays. That's a different proposition than during the season when you're like, oh, if we win a series, every time we win a series that's good for us. Like you can take that in, in July, you win a series, even if it's at home, even if it's against a terrible team, you know what, maybe one of those games slipped away, but ultimately if we win every, two of every three games, boom, we're doing a great job. And there's some scenarios here where that's just not going to be good enough. Like they could get to the end of the season easily and need to sweep their final series in order to make the playoffs. Like that's a very realistic outcome for them. It is. And you know, to your point about sweeping versus winning series, like, they could not lose a series the rest of the year. They could go two and one in every three game series and two and two against the Rangers. And that'd be 18 and 10 down the stretch. And that would put them in 91 wins, which probably gets you in. But like, 
it might not. And so, you know, if the Rangers play really well, if the AL West somehow can continue at this pace, like, again, you're probably in if you have 91 wins, but there are scenarios there where you can win or not lose a single series all year long, all September, play amazing baseball and still not get in. And all of that just underlines the fact that they have missed so many chances to this point in the season. And they haven't gone on a run, really. Like, they had a six-game winning streak in late April. That's the best that they've done all season long. And since then, they've never won more than four games in a row. And there's a decent chance, again, against this poor opposition, that you might need to have a five-game winning streak, a six-game winning streak. And the absence of that could be the difference in terms of you not making the playoffs. And yeah, they missed opportunities in the past, and this team has underperformed, and that's no secret. But this is the reality they're in right now is that, as we said, like winning isn't enough. You kind of need to dominate. And this team hasn't felt very dominant for most of the year. No, it really, really hasn't. There are a couple bigger picture topics that I want to touch on at some point during our discussion here. I want to pick your brain about David Schneider at some point, and I want to talk about Vlad Jr. as well. But I think it's also worth touching on some of the decision makers, some of the leaders of this team at this point because they're under the microscope and I think it's interesting among other things and you know I think these decisions and discussions that surround these huge moments and so when it comes to John Schneider he's faced a lot of heat in the last little while and I'll tell you where I stand I'd love to hear where you stand as well but to me like you're making these calls under the microscope I think in hindsight probably should have pinch run for Alejandro Kirk the other day with Mason McCoy that probably would have made a lot of sense. I also think that the double steal with Kevin Biggio didn't like that in the ninth inning. I thought that was overly aggressive. Going back a few days, I didn't like Santiago Espinal having the green light 3-0 on Sunday. I don't think that's a call that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I trust my dudes, you know, and, you know, trust them to get a good pitch and put a good swing on it. So, you know, there's, there's decisions I made that didn't work out today. You know, could have walked Calhoun, didn't. Um, you know, could have started Bidge with SB up in the double play, you know, so as much as anything, you know, there are decisions that I made that probably factored into the game too. So. so there are these spots that I can and will nitpick and I'll say I didn't agree. At the same time, man, like I look at John Schneider, big picture, and every time he's making a decision, there's a lot of thought in it. He can articulate that thought to the public. He can articulate those thoughts to the players. He does. And I think by and large, you know, he's managing in a way that makes sense. That might run counter to what a lot of fans think, but this is my honest personal opinion is that tactically, he's actually a good manager. And I think that as you go into these last 28 games of the season, I actually think he's pretty capable of making good tactical decisions. I would probably be a little lower on that than you. Like, I I think that the Kirk decision is indefensible. Like, I really do. I think if you're not going to use Mason McCoy for that, like you're never going to pinch hit him for anyone later in the game. You're at home, so you're not going to need defensive replacements unless you go up in that eighth inning itself. Like that's the one time you're where you're going to use a below average AAA shortstop who has no MLB experience. And he said something like, like the way he articulated, like he said, oh, if it wasn't Kirk, no one would have said anything about it. Well, if it wasn't Kirk, they would have scored. Like Kirk is <laughs> yeah. uniquely bad at running. And I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that like, oh, Kirk's a terrible player. Like Kirk has his strengths. He's a valuable player. But we know he is quite literally one of the slowest men on MLB baseball fields. Like that is the reality. So I really didn't like the way he explained it, to be honest. He talked about going into the 11th inning potentially and having Kirk. It's like, we don't worry about the 11th inning when you're down by multiple runs in the eighth inning and you already have one out. 
he talked about how if it was the tying run, it would be different. Well, when you're down multiple runs and you have five outs to play with, you don't have the luxury of picking one run over the other. Like you need a run. And this is also a Blue Jays team that does not have the same quick strike ability that they have had in the past. Like they do not hit these multiple run home runs very often in part due to problems with scoring position, most of which we can explain with statistical variance, but that's just the reality. Like they don't score in bunches. So scoring a run there is crucial. Playing for that run is crucial. So that is a decision. Just, I get it. I get why all of the, the ire of the fan base on that decision, because I really don't think that either the decision makes sense or his explanation of the decision makes sense. And that's tough to stomach. I'll just jump in there before you, I let you continue here. But, you know, I think that I, I think you explain that well. And I think that let's just say that's a mistake. Let's just say that John Schneider made a mistake right there and he let the Blue Jays down. Yeah, I think that that's fair. I think you could also point to, you know, the the infamous 8-1 game in the playoffs last season. And that I'm not saying that that's something that we need to take into account as like, this is why he's a bad manager or anything. But I think it really colors how people see him especially fans especially people who are more emotionally invested in the team like this is the sort of thing that sticks in your craw and so you get that idea that this guy is not a good tactical manager and then you have the confirmation bias and it all rolls downhill now my kind of thought on schneider is that he tactically generally like you said is sort of fine like I, i think there aren't there isn't this huge run of just inexplicable blunders that hasn't been the story of his tenure with the blue jays with management, it's just so hard to evaluate. It's it's almost impossible. Like if you try to rank the managers one to thirty, good luck. You don't know because so much of it is about how they communicate with the players, what their leadership style is. We don't know to what degree they delegate certain aspects of their job to other people on the coaching staff. So when we're asked to evaluate, like how good a manager is John Schneider, I don't feel confident in giving you an answer. On the flip side, he's had a quite a talented team. And he, his team has underperformed. And as a result, you're disinclined to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I do think that people who really have the pitchfork out for him and say, like, this guy's terrible, he absolutely has to go, that feels like a, an overreaction to me. But when people say he's a really good manager, I would say kind of based on what? Fair, fair. And I think, look, you got to prove it. It's the major leagues. You got to prove it. You got to earn it. And the biggest games of his career in the wildcard game didn't work, right? So that's on him to make sure that the personnel is in the right places didn't work. You know, we all discussed that one at length last year. And then this year, the team has been underperforming. So there's no question. It has, it has not gone according to plan. And there's frustration as a result of that. I think, too, like for me, maybe it's because I'm, you know, the most recent manager that I covered before John Schneider was Charlie Montoyo. And Schneider's ability to communicate with media and justify his decisions and explain his thinking is so far beyond what Montoyo could do. I think that that probably colors the way I perceive him a little bit. And because I'm watching if it's July against the Diamondbacks or if it's May against, you know, the Twins, whatever the case, I'm watching those games with a high degree of of intensity as well because of my job. And so I sort of see those tactical moves and I think, okay, it makes sense. And from that standpoint, I think, you know, maybe I'll be proven wrong, right? Like maybe he will make error after error and and that will impact the Blue Jays down the stretch. And at that point, I'll be happy to change my perspective. But I do think he's a pretty good manager. I think he's a good guy to have there with Don Mattingly and Pete Walker. I think that they're capable if the players perform to a really, really high level. I think the counterpoint to that is that the bar is pretty low in terms of 
having basically sound tactic. Like most managers at this point are, you know, on the younger side, on the more analytically aware side. They get good information from the front office. They have sort of, I don't know, best practices. That's the most corporate way you could possibly put something in baseball. But I think Schneider is one of those guys. Like he has the good information. He knows how to put that information to use. And I'm not taking that away from him. Like that is a good quality. I'm just not so sure it's an especially rare quality. Like you don't have as many of those really washed old guys who have a mindset from, I don't know, the 80s or 90s and haven't really caught up with where the game is now. He's there, but I think a lot of other guys are there too, and it's not necessarily a differentiating factor. You're saying there's a real shortage of guys in the tunnel hacking darts between innings, and I couldn't agree more. It's a detriment to the game. I'd love to see more of it from an observer of the game perspective, but I get why that's a direction that front offices are moving away from. Even when the Blue Jays hired Charlie Montoyo, it was an odd hiring in the sense that so many teams were going for the younger, former players, analytically savvy guys. And here the Blue Jays were getting this lifer who was, I don't know, a bit of a a vibes guy, a bit of a clubhouse relationships guy, as opposed to that kind of new breed of manager. And they kind of zigged where everyone else zagged. And then Schneider is more in line with what some of that was. And Charlie worked for a bit. He kept things positive at a very weird and challenging time for this franchise. And, uh, you know, tactically, he he would not be a guy that I would have a lot of confidence in, uh, to be fully honest, in in a big spot. But that is a topic for last year. Let's cast our vision ahead like a little bit here, because the other part of the Schneider discussion is people are talking about Ross Atkins, too. And look, this is an underperforming team. They have yet to win a game in the playoffs. I can understand that to a certain extent. But Here's where I'll, you know, leave things for this moment, Nick, is I'm just sort of disinclined to try to make a final determination about the GM when there are still these 28 games to play in the playoffs. And we just don't know how it's going to unfold. To me, it's like, I just think it makes a lot more sense to let the season play out because that's, it's just not done yet. And I think to act as though the season is done and we know what's going to happen is just really fatalistic and sort of dealing with incomplete information. So I think, look, this is a good team. They're not in a great spot. We'll see where it ends. And then, you know, if if there's a discussion to be had, then there's a discussion to be had then. But for now, I'm sort of disinclined to go too far down that path. Yeah, I mean, this sounds weird to say, and I'm not presenting this as like I feel like this is a likely scenario. But the Blue Jays could win the World Series in 2023. Like that, that is within the range of outcomes. Or failing that, you know, they could sneak into a wild card. Say they sneak into the sixth spot, which is kind of what they're aiming for now. And then they beat the AL Central winner, presumably the Twins, in the first round. That isn't even that wild an outcome. And then we're talking about something totally different. And in terms of the team Ross Atkins has put together, like you're talking about in terms of overall offensive metrics not runs. I know that people, some people, that's a a leap they don't want to make. It's how many runs you score is how good you are. But in terms of a lot of kind of overall offensive metrics, you could call this a top 10 lineup. You could call it a top five pitching staff. Putting together a team like that is sort of a general manager's job. And the chips haven't fallen the way that Atkins would have wanted them to. And I'm not saying every move was perfect, but you look at the moves they did make, you know, the move for Brandon Belt, great you know, low effort, low risk signing. Kevin Kiermaier has been better than they possibly could have envisioned. The Dalton Varsho thing, undoubtedly, that's one we'll interrogate in the years to come, depending on what happens with Moreno. But I don't think the book's written on that either. So when you think about, you know, Ross Atkins' job security, 
I don't think there are that many sort of blunders, real missteps you could point to and say, wow, this is a guy who put his team in a poor position to win. And the Blue Jays were put, I think, in a pretty good position to win entering 2023, even if that's not what they've done. Yeah, Kevin Gosman, Yusei Kikuchi, Chris Bassett. I mean, this is a pitching staff that Ross Atkins has built, and it's the best pitching staff in baseball. The offense hasn't performed that well. Ultimately, it's a results business, and the results haven't been that good. So I understand the frustration, but he's done a lot of good things. I mean, let's not let's not look past that. And again, that's the referendums can be had probably a different day. But you mentioned some of the moves, and and those are obviously worth getting into. But looking back at the trade deadline, one of the really interesting calls they made was actually not to make a move when it came to uh, power bat. And look, they probably could have. Um, added and still had room for David Schneider. But the reality is they didn't add. That did create an opportunity for David Schneider. And he's been incredible. So I guess, you know, I know you wrote about this in a bit of a more granular way for us at sportsnet.ca this week. But just sort of big picture, what do you think that Schneider means for the next month? And then even beyond that, what this emergence looks like for this team? Schneider's a really tough guy to figure out. And that sounds silly because he's been unbelievable. Like, enjoy the ride. He's been so good. But he is a hitter a little bit in that Danny Jansen mold where the raw power isn't extraordinary by any means. But the way he swings the bat in terms of emphasizing putting the ball in the air, in terms of attacking the ball out in front of the plate and trying to pull it, he can generate more power than sort of his combination of strength and bat speed would indicate. He's a very patient hitter as well, but he's not like you look at his max exit velocity, for instance, and it's like he's in the Cavan Biggio type of range. And, you know, even when Cavan Biggio first came up, he had a little bit of this to his game, too, where he was really like yanking those home runs down the right field line and taking his walk. So it's a profile that can work. Obviously, it's not a profile that projects to work as well as it's done so far. I'm interested to see what happens with him over the longer term with like really high end velocity because he's talked about his struggles hitting that high fastball and he's getting them at a, an enormous rate. And that's largely what I wrote about in that piece. Like pitchers are absolutely pounding the top of the zone against him. And he's been surprisingly successful, even though, you know, he's openly stated like this is the hole in my swing. And the reality is we just don't have enough of a sample yet. And a lot of the success he's had has been against those kind of 94 or 92 mile an hour fastballs and when someone comes in and starts pumping 99 like is he really gonna be overmatched is this hole he's describing his swing going to be a huge deal at this point i think you you have to project him as an above average contributor from here on out just because most guys are not capable of doing what he's done but project him as a guy who you want hitting second who you want hitting fourth in the lineup like right now, they're riding the hot hand. I don't think he's that guy. I think he's someone maybe you, you are happy that he's hitting seventh. And I think if the Blue Jays are going to make this run, if they're going to make the playoffs, uh, if they're going to potentially do something, it would really surprise me if David Schneider is the guy driving that bus. You know, I, earlier in July, for instance, Whit Merrifield went on this run where he just hit a bunch of home runs out of nowhere. And we kind of know who Whit Merrifield is at this point in his career. And the Blue Jays took that, and that was a big part of their ability to survive during that time. So it's like when these type of things happen, you kind of need to capitalize on them, and you hope that you can convert that into team success. But over the longer period of time, you need you need the stars to be the stars in order to have the success you want to have and the success you're projected to have coming into the season. 
100 percent. we'll get to that in a second but you know with with david schneider i agree like i think if he can be a number seven hitter for you that is so good like that is such a huge success for this team 28th round pick i mean it'd be great for david schneider too seven hitters get playing time they go they get to arbitration they they sometimes make some money in free agency so you know a seven hitter would be like a guy who you know let's say he hits 20 homers let's say the ops is 750 let's say that's two and a half war playing some second playing some left like that would be unbelievable for the blue jays next year i mean it'd be believable but um it would be really really good for the Blue Jays next year. And in the meantime, I, you know, I've said this before, but man, does this team ever need, have they ever needed David Schneider just to be like this one beacon of positivity on a team that otherwise like, man, it's been a, it's been a grind for this team. And I don't, I don't think that that's just a, you know, the fans. Um, I think it's been a grind for the fans. Uh, and so, you know, thanks to everyone for listening and, and sticking with us here on at the letters and, and elsewhere, I think it's been a tough season to some extent to watch this team underperform. I think it's been a grind for the players. I think it's been a grind for the coaches. So to have a guy like David Schneider come in and perform the way he has, has been a much needed uh, source of, of hope for this ball club. Yeah. And over the course of a 162 game season, you normally have something like that. Not maybe not quite as dramatic as David Schneider's start because it is truly bizarre just how well he's performed. But you kind of need to have that one guy who has a monster season or the person who and Matt Chapman had his month of April. But there haven't been outside of the pitching, you know, the bounce back from Kikuchi and from Barrios perhaps is even under discussed, despite the fact, you know, think of where they were last year and where they've been this year. And how much good pitching the team has gotten overall. But the the lineup has just been such a sore spot. And the run production. And really, if you go up and down the lineup, even guys who have performed well, like Bo Bichette, no one has had that, like, wow, I can't believe that this is the season that Matt Chapman put together. Or George Springer to put together. Or, you know, the Vladdy 2021 type season. Like, no one, even when people performed well, no one has had that, like, oh, this is my career year. And I'm really driving the lineup right now. And I'm, you know, I don't think Schneider is that guy to do that necessarily, but it was about time for them to have, you know, a little positive, even if you just call it luck on the hitting side. And yeah, it has been an easy, easy, easy guy to cheer for 28th round pick, the mustache, the glasses, you know, the everyman component to him. Uh, yeah. As you said, it's been a tough, tough time for Blue Jays fans this year. I think that even though the team has been like, quote unquote, relatively successful, it's, you know, well above 500 or whatever. There's a lot of people are taking significantly less joy from this season than previous seasons, even 2021 when they weren't able to make the playoffs. That team was very fun to watch. And I'm not sure that you could really say that about the 2023 Blue Jays, at least at times this year. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So I want to get to uh, the question of Vladdy a little bit and, you know, specifically like the trade Vlad stuff. But I actually want to touch on one point just real quick here. I know you have to run before too long here, but... Um, you know, Matt Chapman, I feel like all year there's been this expectation that he's pretty much going to go in free agency and he's going to sign some massive deal elsewhere. Well, this is not ending the way he got off to an amazing, amazing start. And the season has really not progressed the way we would have expected. And he's on the injured list right now. It's not going very well. 
what if he actually does resign with the Jays? What if there's like a pillow contract in there? For a while there, like it looked like Rendon might be the comp or Chris Bryant might be the comp. And like, what if it's actually a lot, lot less than 240 or 175? What if the Jays actually, if there is room to bring him back on on a much more modest deal? I, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. I know there's a ton of baseball to be played, but any thoughts on Chapman and what's next year? Yeah, I mean, it's possible that he's priced himself back into being a Blue Jays target in the offseason. Like, people like to say they have a lot of possibilities on the infield, you know, even with Merrifield potentially leaving and Chapman leaving. You know, now you've got Davis Schneider as an option at second base. People talk about Aurelvis Martinez, Addison Barger, and AAA. Like, these are guys who are totally unproven, even though they're promising. So bringing Chapman back, I don't think that's blocking anyone. I think that would be a good move for the team. He's, you know, he's a two-way contributor, even if you look at sort of his season as a whole, you know, I think he's an above average hitter and an excellent defender and someone that you're happy to have as a complimentary offensive piece and an awesome two-way player. And, you know, if I'm his agent, I still think I can go get some money out there realistically. I don't know if the Blue Jays are the ones who are going to give him that, but even with a little bit of a tough end to the year, his overall numbers are going to be good. With Toronto, he's shown a little bit of a bounce back from that. You know, he was in a bit of a decline spiral before he reached the Blue Jays. Like the strikeouts were really coming up. He was looking like more of an average hitter uh, than the guy he'd been earlier in his career. I think he's shown enough over these two years with Toronto where teams are going to be confident that he's not just a guy who's going to be in his 30s whose defense drives his value. He's going to be a guy who provides a solid amount of power as well, gets on base as well. Yeah, I think there's a streakiness to his game because there there is for a lot of guys who struggle with contact, which is something he does struggle with. But, you know, whether the Blue Jays want to be the one to give him the bigger contract, I think that's up for debate. I don't think that would be a bad idea by any means. But unless thing, you know, he comes back and he's truly, truly dismal, just drags down his numbers completely, I'd be pretty confident as his agent that he can still get that solid deal. Yes, I'm sure Scott Boris agrees with you. Um, he's never one to lack for confidence. We're always in sync, the two of us. <laughs> that's know. right. That's right. All right. So Vladdy, look, it, it hasn't been a great year for Vladdy, and we don't need to dive into that in too much detail. But I just want to address this one thing because I feel like you know we hear this at times, and you know whether it's social media, whether it's Sportsnet 590, the fan, great discussion. Some of the discussion even points to, hey, what about trading Vlad Guerrero Jr.? And to me, I just like I honestly don't get it. Like, a, he's 24, he's an incredibly productive hitter when you look at his last few seasons even if you just look at this year he's having a good season if you look at the underlying numbers it looks better the guy posts he's got some really good defensive skills that allow him to be a good first baseman he cares obviously the swing isn't as dynamic as it was a couple of years ago that's pretty clear there's some steps maybe that they take in the offseason but man like this is a really really good player and if you trade him you're not going to get full value. You might go on and win an MVP with the Phillies or the Diamondbacks or wherever you trade him. And then you're sitting there with, you know, three prospects or, you know, a halfway decent outfielder and a couple of, you know, a couple pitchers. Like what? I, I honestly, I really don't get this as a legit notion because I, I find it really hard to imagine that you're going to get comparable value back. Yeah, I think it's a knee-jerk reaction to, again, he has been a bit of a figurehead for the frustration surrounding the Blue Jays season. 
And I think a lot of people, and this is a narrative that you know, I'm, I was definitely a part of spreading a lot of people in the media. I'm not going to say like the media as in a, a way to criticize people. But I think a lot of people set that expectation of 2021 is, oh, the real Vladdy has arrived. 2022, this is a bit of a down year for Vladdy, but he's going to be back. And then 2023 comes around and not only is he's not back, but he's further down than he was in 2022. And so that's a massive gap from expectation to production, even if he's done OK. But to be fair, in the context of a first baseman, not great. And people also look at his war numbers a lot and his defense at first base does not grade well. And I don't really know what to do with that because, you know, what, what by the eye test, he does seem to be a strong first baseman. I think a lot of the stuff he does well in terms of his stretches, uh, those things are probably tougher to quantify. And the things that he doesn't do as well in terms of lateral quickness is probably the stuff that's easier to quantify in terms of balls getting through into the outfield. So I think he's maybe not getting a fair shake on some of those defensive metrics, which leads people to say, oh, this guy's war is under one, like he's a garbage player. Like you said, it'd be a very weird time to trade him because the value is not very high. He's closer to free agency than people think, right? It's You're not going to get years and years of Vladdy if you trade him. So you got a guy close to free agency coming off two years in offensive decline who's been, yeah, I mean, even if you read his defensive metrics a little different, kind of an, an average starter this year maybe at first base. Like that is obviously an appealing prospect to other teams because of the talent he has because of how he can strike. It's not like other teams don't see that, but if other teams are trying to trade for Vladdy, then they're not going to appraise him at what he's worth. And this is, this talent is still worth betting on. Like he's still young. He's someone who hits the ball, like almost no one else in the league. And he doesn't swing and miss a ton. Like it's very rare to find those guys who absolutely match the ball and, and make contact all the time. Like Jose Bautista is a great example of that. And yeah, I think he's someone worth believing in. You're right. There's still, a scenario where he keeps hitting the ball on the ground or he declines. But a lot of what you see this year is not as much maybe the ground ball stuff as it was at his worst, but a lot of the swing decision stuff. And that seems like something that generally gets old, better when players are older. And we've already seen him do that at a very, very high level. So if you're the Blue Jays organization, I just think you have to believe in this talent and you have to believe that some of the negative trends, especially around the discipline, around the approach, are things that can be worked on and can be improved in the years to come. Yeah, I agreed with that for sure. And I think that, you know, there are ways to to make that happen. It's interesting on war, right? Because like, I love war. I think it's so useful. I think that it's like maybe my favorite baseball stat. But like in the cases where I watch most of a player's games, I'm not going to use war. Like I, in my mind, maybe this is like, you know, observer bias or like maybe I'm totally just deceiving myself into thinking I have a better read on what these guys than what they actually are. But like in my mind, Vlad is not a one-win player. Like I'm sorry, he's not. He is a better player than that. He is a pretty good defender at first base. He can handle third if you want. He makes some bad base running decisions, but he's kind of a good base runner at times like in you're not you don't mind having him scoring from first on a double um you know he's he's a guy who can do a lot of things for you obviously his power is good and so you know looking ahead to next year i think yeah he's a three war player i wouldn't be surprised if he's a six war player i'm not counting on him to ever be a nine war player but the thing is too to your point if you try to trade him you're not getting cja from 
Abrams back. You're not getting Corbin Carroll back. You know, <laughs> like that's just those guys aren't traded, first of all. And they're definitely not traded for guys with two years of control. So let's be real about what you're going to get back here. And then let's be real about what he can bring you in these next two years. Set aside the extension. Just the next two years, he can be an elite offensive player who's hitting second on a really good team. So I think that he's someone that you just accept. Hey, he's going to be great or really good. Maybe he's not a Hall of Famer. Maybe he's just a really, really good player. But there's upside beyond that as well. Yeah, and it's so hard to be patient with baseball over a multi-year span because we're talking about hundreds of games, right? Like over a two-year span, we're talking about over 300 games. And yet, oftentimes, players have multiple years in a, in a row that are below a standard they've set and then bounce back. Like even older players, that happens with sometimes. Like it, Sometimes people are like, oh, someone had an off year. And it's like, okay, well, they better be back the next year or they're done in my eyes. And the more you watch baseball, the more you see the level of inconsistency in the sport. And it's not like basketball. It's not like, you know, if Connor McDavid in the NHL had two straight years where he scored 10 goals and had 20 assists, people would be like, something happened with Connor McDavid. He's done. Like it's something, it's probably his personal life or maybe you just stopped caring, like uh, stopped training at all. He's cooked. But in baseball, it doesn't work that way. Like you can have extended periods of time at a certain standard and then reach another one. And especially for a guy of Vladdy's age, I think that's a pretty likely scenario that next year he looks really good at the plate. And people might say, damn, where was that Vladdy in 2023 when the Blue Jays were really struggling to make the playoffs? Uh, It's definitely unfortunate timing the way this year has worked out. And he's not it's not like he's a player without weaknesses, but he just has that the talent that is, is really special. And the way he hits the ball, it's just not like how other people do. And maybe the swing plane is a little flat. Maybe it allows pitchers to pound the bottom of the zone and he's going to hit more grounders. Like you see that over the course of his career, people have elevated the ball less and less against him. There are ways to counter Vladia. He's not a perfect player. There might be more grounded double play situations than fans want to see because he hits the ball on ground and he hits it hard. So you get those tailor-made double plays. But when I see people talking about trading Vladdy, it's not the disease, it's a symptom. It's a symptom of the anger associated with the 2023 Blue Jays. Yes, there's a lot of that. And there uh, there might be more to come. Might get a lot worse. Might get a lot better. Who knows? This is where, like, for the Jays, it's like it could go down so many different paths right here. Um, so it will be a really compelling month. The Jays are working hard to try to make sure that they have a memorable finish. And that is very much within their grasp. We will be following along, Nick. Uh, Your work is always worth a read at Yahoo Sports, where you're a senior writer. And I'm biased, but uh, I think the sports and the stuff you do is also uh, especially good. So thanks so much for making the time and uh, joining us today on At The Letters. Oh, you're welcome. Always happy to fill in. Awesome. Well, that is it for us this week on ATL. Thanks so much to Nick. Thanks as well to our producers, Mike Rogerson and Nick Andrade. We'll be back next week. Arden will be with me. We'll discuss the latest. Who knows what the next uh, seven days or so will bring. So stick with us here on ATL. And thank you so much for listening to us this week on At The Letters. <laughs>